From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Tensions are high surrounding several issues in Washington and here in Texas, especially on immigration and voting rights. Plus, the Texas legislature is working to ensure a power outage like the one the state experienced during February's winter storm never happens again. And the Biden administration is rolling out its infrastructure plan. To talk about all of it, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined this week by former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, and the Austin Bureau Chief for the Dallas Morning News, Bob Garrett, plus Julie's full interview with Senator Ted Cruz, an extended version you'll get only on the podcast. Before we get started today, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast wherever you get your audio content. Those little things help us out a lot. Plus, keep an eye out for extra Lone Star Politics content on NBC DFW's streaming app available on Roku and Apple TV. We'll have video available from our podcast-exclusive interviews. So with that out of the way, let's get started. A couple weeks ago, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz led a contingent of Republicans to the U.S.-Mexico border where a surge of unaccompanied children are overwhelming federal holding facilities. To get a handle on the rush, the government has established several temporary housing facilities across Texas, including at the Dallas Convention Center. A week after visiting the border, Cruz toured the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center where more than 2,000 migrant teen boys are being housed. While he was there, Julie had a chance to catch up with him. Now, just a couple of months later, this isn't a long time, it's a couple of months later, after Joe Biden ripped to pieces the Remain in Mexico policy and reinstated catch and release, we're seeing what DHS Secretary Mayorkas described as the highest rate of illegal immigration across the southwest border in 20 years. We went from the lowest in 45 years to the highest in 20 years, and that's resulting in tens of thousands of children facing horrific conditions and being put at risk of COVID and abuse. Throughout many presidential administrations, we have seen border surges, we have seen immigration issues. What is the long-term solution? The long-term solution is enforce our laws. Enforce our laws and, and rely on legal immigration. There's a right way to come to this country. We'll get to the full interview with Senator Cruz in just a moment. Democrat Beto O'Rourke, who ran for U.S. Senate in 2018, is from El Paso and represented Texas's 16th congressional district, which includes the border, for three terms. As the issue of immigration is top of mind, O'Rourke weighs in on the Biden administration's handling of the border surge so far. Plus, many Texas Democrats are hopeful O'Rourke will challenge Governor Greg Abbott in 2022. In an extended interview you'll hear only on the podcast, here's O'Rourke with Julian Gromer. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you both. And happy Easter to you. You just heard Senator Cruz on the border. What do you think should be done? Now, remember, when it comes to the border in our connection with Mexico, this is the guy, our junior senator, who, when you were freezing in your homes and nearly 200 Texans lost their lives because the energy capital of North America couldn't keep the heat going, this guy left the state and was at the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun. That's the Ted Cruz we're talking about. We are concerned about the children at the border and anyone who would have to travel 2,000 miles to seek safety and refuge and asylum here. We have the ability, the resources, and the capacity to take care of these people. And let's remember that the levels that we're seeing right now are still under what we saw in 2019 during the Trump administration and well under what we saw during the George W. Bush administration. But here's what we have to do if we wanna solve this long term. 
make the Americas, including Central America, a priority in our foreign policy and address the underlying issues. Number two, rewrite our immigration laws so they reflect our reality in Dallas and in other parts of Texas. We are a state of immigrants. Let's prioritize family reunification and acknowledge those hardworking immigrants in our communities now who with status and once they are legalized uh, under the law are gonna be able to contribute so much more to our, our shared success. And then third, let's make sure that we do not unnecessarily detain any child or family. Let's, let's connect them with family members here. Let's have a family case management program that we can run at a fraction of the cost and improve their outcome, their well-being, and the safety and security of our border. Beto, was the Biden administration properly prepared for this surge? Is the criticism that they're getting, that the administration is getting fair? And do you think that he will take some of your recommendations to heart, the president? The incoming Biden administration was significantly challenged by the outgoing Trump administration, which would literally not meet and share information with the incoming administration, which closed down many of the facilities that are overcrowded today. So when you hear Senator Cruz whining about the, the lack of preparedness, it has a lot to do with the fact that, that Donald Trump literally removed so many of these assets and resources that the incoming administration would need. And to your second question, Gromer, I, I hope so. I hope that President Biden will make rewriting our immigration laws in our own image, an image of communities like El Paso and Dallas and, and Fort Worth a priority. I hope that his Secretary of State, while I understand he's prioritizing China and South Korea and Japan right now, will turn his focus to Central America and Mexico and work with our hemispheric partners to address this comprehensively so that we aren't having this conversation, if you should have me back on the show in four years or eight years, as we have for the last 30 years. We need to make this a priority and get it done. And that's going to require political will from Democrats and Republicans alike. Switching topics here, you've been very active when it comes to registering voters. This week, the Senate passed an elections bill. It restricts voting hours, drive-in balloting, and does make changes to the mail-in process. Your reaction to this? This is voter suppression, plain and simple. It is the most significant attack on our democracy here in Texas in the last 10 years. It also adds to the criminal code in an attempt to scare people from voting at all. We know from our twice indicted attorney general's uh, election integrity unit, so-called, that 72% of their prosecutions have been against black Texans and Latino Texans, well out of proportion in, in terms of their share of the general population. This is seeking to keep voters of color from voting at all. And when you connect it to what's happening in Georgia and more than 40 other state legislatures, this is the single greatest coordinated attack against our democracy since our fellow Texan Lyndon Baines Johnson signed into law the Voting Rights Act in 1965. I'll tell you this on, on the positive note. Uh, our fellow Texans from Denton and Collin and Tarrant and Dallas and, and points further beyond drove down to the Capitol and waited 15, 16, 17 hours to testify well into the early morning today, up until 4 a.m. this morning, against these bills. So Texans, by and large, are united against this attack on democracy and this effort to suppress voting. And I think ultimately we will prevail. So we want everyone to keep up the fight because there's nothing more important in the world's greatest democracy. Beto, let's talk about something related to voting. 
Are you putting a band back together? Are you running for governor against uh, Greg Abbott in 2022? Gomer, I love what I'm doing right now. Uh, Julie mentioned that Powered by People, our volunteer organization, is registering voters and seeking out those voters who, who have not participated in our elections um, in lower income communities, border communities, the parts of the state that are so often um, taken for granted or, or forgotten altogether, including our rural communities and counties. As you know, I'm also teaching a course at the University of Texas uh, LBJ School, and I'm teaching a course at Texas State. So my plate is full. I'm going to focus on that. And, um, and I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing right now. So is that a no? I've I'm, I'm, uh, got no plans to run, and I'm very focused on the things that I'm lucky enough to do right now, organizing, registering voters, and teaching. Because I ask you that because I know Democrats have been approaching you about making a run, and I'm just wondering where you are. I mean, are you going to seriously consider it, or are you just closing the door to it? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm, I'm doing now. We, we were just talking about this attack on voting rights in Texas. Uh, last week, along with a lot of other Texans, I drove out to the Capitol, eight and a half hour drive, waited 15 hours to be able to testify, tried to work with other great groups like the Texas Civil Rights Project and MOVE and others. Um, that's the work that, that is most important right now. And I don't want to distract from it by talking about, you know, a campaign or running for office. Uh, I want to do what's before us and what's essential right now. And that's this work to protect our democracy and, and to register voters and, and make sure that Texas truly represents everyone. So Representative, and I want to follow up on something earlier. When you know you talked about the voting rights bill, or I'm sorry, you talked about the voting bill in the Senate. You've got a Republican controlled Senate. You've got similar legislation in the House. So how do you go about stopping that? I'll tell you what. The, the power of public sentiment is, um, is what's going to prevail, I think, ultimately in this. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the first iteration of the Senate voter suppression bill uh, in Texas, there was a provision where veterans would have to prove their disability before being able to uh, vote an absentee ballot. So what we're saying is that that guy who put his life on the line for us in, in Vietnam 50 years ago, uh, that young woman who just returned from Afghanistan, both with wounds uh, or uh, conditions like post-traumatic stress that they incurred in combat, we're, we, we won't trust them uh, to, to legitimately claim a disability. We'll make them prove it by getting a note from the VA or a note from their doctor. When veterans came forward and testified before that Senate committee, they actually, thanks to State Senator Judy, uh, Judith Zaffarini, who, who proposed the amendment, they actually changed the underlying bill. So, so anyone who is concerned that uh, the effort made to testify before these people in positions of public trust in our state legislature is in vain, know that it works. And when there are enough of us who step up and, and stand up uh, against efforts to take away the vote, amazing things can happen. If, if we think about John Lewis, on, I believe, the 7th of March, 1965, beaten bloody on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. It's not a week later that in front of a joint session of Congress, Lyndon Baines Johnson cites his heroism and his courage and the galvanizing impact that his sacrifice had on the country as the case that he was making for passing the Voting Rights Act. So there, there's a bill pending before the United States Senate right now that's called the For the People Act, 
I think that all of this energy, uh, all of this volunteer um, you know, activity in Texas is going to have a bearing on the passage of that bill in the Senate. And even if it does get signed into law here, this voter suppression bill in Texas by Abbott, there'll be a federal response to that that will be informed and, and I think energized by all of the great people who are working on this in Texas right now. Yeah, you also have the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. How important is it to, to get some sort of preclearance requirement restored uh, for, for states, like, states like Texas and maybe every state in the United States so you can have a check against laws that, that you know, are deemed to suppress voters or suppress voting? The 1965 Voting Rights Act uh, contained a, a pre-clearance provision, which essentially said that in uh, states or communities where there was a history of uh, intimidation or voter suppression, especially against black Americans and, and communities of, of color, any changes to the process of voting or voting laws would have to be pre-cleared through the Department of Justice. And in fact, every decade since that was passed in 1965, Texas was found to be out of compliance and would have to change their voting laws so as not to disproportionately negatively impact voters of color. That protection was stripped away in the 2013 Supreme Court Shelby decision. What you just described, Gromer, the, uh, the John Lewis uh, uh, House Rule 4 would, would reimpose those protections and that preclearance provision so that Texas could not close 750 polling locations concentrated in the fastest growing black and Latino neighborhoods, as Texas just did following Shelby, or redraw our congressional districts along racial lines, as Texas did after Shelby, or impose the most onerous voter ID laws in the country that disproportionately affect young voters, older voters, poorer voters, and voters of, of color, as Texas did after the Shelby case. So, so much of what Texas has done to try to stop people from voting in this state could be cured by the passage of that bill. So I cannot think, you know, if you're interested in the work of democracy, and, and you should be because we live in the world's greatest democracy, this is the time to take action and to reach out to those who represent you and ask them to pass the John Lewis bill and the For the People Act. Now, Beto, I, I know we, we talked about whether you're running for governor or not earlier, but let me just let me just ask you this, as a, as a Democrat, how do you go about, whether it's you or someone else, beating Greg Abbott in 2022? What has to be the message? I would begin with competence. Um, I mentioned earlier, uh, the Houston Chronicle just documented that nearly 200 Texans died during that winter storm. Young children who died in their beds of hypothermia mother and daughter who died of carbon monoxide poisoning as they sought to get warm in their garage with the engine of their car running, uh, people who died in house fires that were caused um, by, by the storm and the inability to keep the, the, the power on. That's, that's not an act of God. Um, that, that is uh, a failure in leadership at the very top. Greg Abbott uh, appointing cronies to the Public Utility Commission, uh, not exercising his responsibility to oversee the electricity grid and to make sure that when we flip the switch, the lights come on, the power goes on, the water is running. When you look at the 50,000 killed in Texas 
by COVID and by his mismanagement of the pandemic, the uh, ham-fisted rollout of the vaccines, 254 different plans across the 254 different counties. And as the Dallas Morning News and, and other outlets have documented, uh, there has been a disproportionately negative impact on communities of color and lower income communities. We have a real problem when it comes to equity in the distribution of that vaccine. How about a Democrat like Clay Jenkins, the county judge of Dallas County, who has, in contrast, absolutely distinguished himself in the professionalism with which he's met both the pandemic and the rollout of the vaccine? How about somebody like Lena Hidalgo, the county judge in Harris County, who has disregarded the polls and the conventional wisdom and instead followed the best public health advice and science and guidance from medical practitioners. Uh, we have no shortage of talent and, and no shortage of challenges uh, that, that we have in this state because of Greg Abbott's failed leadership that we can correct with competent leaders moving forward. And then I think we just center on the fact that once you have a state government that, that is competent, that you can depend on, that is predictable, uh, you have the opportunity to uh, attract and grow employers, see more jobs, and have jobs that pay a true living wage, not $7.25 an hour, our current minimum wage, but a job that you can work without having to work a second or a third job just to make ends meet. So there, there's more than enough for a candidate to run on and more than enough qualified Democratic prospective candidates to do that job. I, I feel very good about our prospects in 2022. Representative, we appreciate you doing our show, staying around for the podcast, and always coming on Lone Star Politics. So we appreciate it. Thank you all so much. Happy Easter to you and look forward to seeing you soon. Happy Easter. Have a great one with your family. Adios. Bye-bye. Now, we said we would get back to Senator Cruz. Here's Julie's full conversation with the senator outside the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center in Dallas last week. All right, Senator, first of all, thanks for being with us. You just walked out of here. Tell me what struck you the most. Well, it's heartbreaking to see what's, what's happening here at the Dallas Convention Center. Uh, there is a gigantic room uh, where there are 2,200 cots and teenage boys in every one of them. Uh, and, and it's just, it's one room. It's a giant sea of teenage boys aged 13 to 17. Every one of them has crossed the border illegally. They've crossed the border alone. So every one of them has been in the custody of human traffickers, of cartels. Many of those children have faced physical abuse and, and sexual abuse. And, and the suffering that is here in Dallas and that is across the state of Texas and across the country was entirely preventable. It's the result of political decisions Joe Biden made to cease enforcing our border laws and, and to essentially invite people to come to this country illegally and we're seeing a, a, a really horrific cost that, that, that is coming out. You know, the Biden administration obviously disagrees with you. They say they've inherited a dismantled system. Obviously, you know, there were people that had problems with President Trump's border policies. There were people that didn't want the wall. There were people that objected to his policies as well. Well, I would suggest we ought to ask what works. Uh, if you look the Biden administration made, I think, three critical mistakes, and they all were in the very first week of the administration. The first week Joe Biden announced he was immediately halting construction of the wall. 
Much of the wall has been built, but there are major portions that have not, and there are holes in the wall, and through those holes, illegal immigration is streaming. Secondly, the Biden administration announced that they were going to return to the failed policy of catch and release, where people are apprehended, they're given a court date sometime in the future, they're released, and a large majority of those people are never seen from again, they never come back. And, and the most inexplicable of the three, Joe Biden ended the Remain in Mexico agreement. Now, now that was an agreement that President Trump negotiated with the government of Mexico. And it was an agreement for those people who are crossing from Central America illegally through Mexico, that they would remain in Mexico while their U.S. asylum cases were proceeding here. And, and that agreement resulted in last year, 2020, the lowest rate of illegal immigration into the United States in 45 years. So you can't argue with success that it was working. And we're right now, just a couple of months later, this isn't a long time, it's a couple of months later, after Joe Biden ripped to pieces the Remain in Mexico policy and reinstated catch and release, we're seeing what DHS Secretary Mayorkas described as the highest rate of illegal immigration across the southwest border in 20 years. We went from the lowest in 45 years to the highest in 20 years, and that's resulting in tens of thousands of children facing horrific conditions and being put at risk of COVID and abuse. Throughout many presidential administrations, we have seen border surges, we have seen immigration issues. What is the long-term solution? The long-term solution is enforce our laws. Enforce our laws and, and rely on legal immigration. There's a right way to come to this country. There is no country on the face of planet Earth that is more welcoming to legal immigrants than the United States. We accept over one million immigrants legally every year. As you know, my dad came from Cuba in 1957 to come to Texas. He was 18, he couldn't speak English. He had a student visa to go to the University of Texas. He came here legally. That's the right way to come. The wrong way and what the Biden administration is producing is a situation where last month, in the month of February, over 100,000 illegal Im immigrants were apprehended, nearly 30,000 unaccompanied children. Virtually every one of those is in the custody of a human trafficker, is facing horrific treatment, is facing exploitation. That is, it isn't humane and it isn't compassionate. It results in misery and suffering. And it's particularly problematic during a pandemic. So two days ago, I was down at the border. I led a delegation of 19 senators. We went down to the border to see what was the crisis that was unfolding. Uh, I went out with the border patrol on midnight patrol we saw a stream of people crossing illegally, just, just walking down trails north from the river. We saw little children walking, walking down the trails. We saw young moms carrying infants and nursing the infants walking down the trail, turning themselves in because President Biden has announced if a child comes or if, or, or if an adult with a child comes, they can stay and suddenly you're having young adult males bringing little kids, many of whom are not their own kids, because Joe Biden has made that child a get out of jail free card. The, the facility where those kids were being processed, the first facility is underneath a giant bridge of a freeway. And it consists of a series of outdoor pens where the children were just sleeping on the ground outside, packed in there. Subsequently, 
I went to Donna to the tent city. So they built this massive tent city. You know, for four years, Democrats and a lot of the press talked about kids in cages under Donald Trump. What was rarely acknowledged is the cages were built under Barack Obama. Uh, the population in the cages dropped dramatically as a result of the president's successful remain in Mexico policy. And today, Joe Biden is building more cages, they're bigger cages and they're more full. The Donna facility, its capacity with COVID restrictions, it's, it's about 250. There are over 4,000 people there. What I saw and I put out pictures and videos uh, two days ago, are, are kids crammed in cages where they're not six feet apart or three feet apart, they're side by side, laying on the floor, no beds, no cots, and, and, and touching side by side, wrapped in, in metallic emergency blankets. The rate of testing positive for COVID is 10%. By the way, the rate of testing positive for COVID here at the K. Bailey Hutchison Center is 10%. Where are you getting those numbers? Uh, from the facility, from, from the staff at the facility. And so it was Customs and Border Patrol that told me the rate at Donna. Here it was the Biden HHS that told me the rate is about 10%. Before I let you go, sir, um, when you were inside there, we, we talked briefly before this about volunteers yeah. helping kids. You know, one of the great things about Texans is, is that Texans have a wonderful, warm, compassionate, helping heart. And, and, and there are a lot of volunteers here. The Red Cross is here in force. Catholic Charities is here in force. And, and, and these kids, these kids deserve to be treated well. They deserve to be treated with love. They deserve to be cared for. Many of these boys are, are suffering from psychological trauma, are suffering from physical abuse, are suffering from sexual abuse, are suffering from depression. I spoke with one of the senior physicians here who described just how many of these young boys have, have deep depression from the horrific journey they took, took north with the traffickers. And, and, you know, Joe Biden likes to characterize his policy of open borders as, as somehow compassionate. I don't think it's compassionate to make policy decisions that result in hundreds of thousands of little boys and little girls being horrifically treated. And, 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 and that's what we're seeing. I'm so grateful for the volunteers from the Red Cross and Catholic Charities for helping these children. But the best solution would, would be to recognize the Biden immigration policies are a failure and go back to the policies that were working just six months ago. We had the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. We know what works, but, but Joe Biden's not willing to do it. President Biden has said in interviews, do not come here. Well, but he's also said, if you're a child, we will not send you away. And when you say that, the predictable result is hundreds of thousands of kids come because he's told any parent, he's told any child, if you come, and so what's happening right now, today, is there's a parent in Central America that wants a better life for their kid. And, and you can understand that. They want to have prosperity and they want to have an opportunity at the American dream. And Joe Biden's announced to the world that any child who's here gets to stay. And so these parents are making the, the heart-wrenching decision to pay traffickers three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 to take their son, their daughter, thousands of miles north you know, little girls, 11, 12, 13 years old, their parents put them on birth control pills because the odds are so high they'll be raped in transit. That is not compassionate. That is horrifying. And, and, and 
the real humane policy is to enforce the law, to return to the Remain in Mexico policy, which worked, which resulted in tens of thousands fewer children being trafficked into this country, and instead encourage people come here legally the right way, wait in line, follow the law, and come to America legally. Don't put kids in the custody of human traffickers. We stay at the national level and turn our focus to the Biden administration's proposed infrastructure plan. The plan's $2 trillion price tag has gotten some pushback from Republicans, who say the bill takes on much more than physical infrastructure. In Texas, the bill could impact the power grid and the Dallas to Houston high-speed rail project. Pete Buttigieg rose to prominence as a candidate for president in the 2020 Democratic primary before earning an appointment as Biden's transportation secretary. Julie talked to the secretary earlier this week. Secretary, let's start with this. Um, you've got this big bill pertaining to transportation, bridges, roads. How can it specifically help the state of Texas? Well, Texans are going to see a big impact from doing what we've needed to do for a long time, fix our roads and bridges, fix our ports and airports, uh, get better trains and transit, all of which are going to benefit Texans and, and Americans everywhere. Of course, Texas also drew the attention of the nation with what happened uh, with the, the weather event and, and the grid failures. And it's a reminder that you know power and energy infrastructure, that's infrastructure too. And uh, one of the things I'm really proud of in this American Jobs Plan that the president put forward is specific action to enhance the grid. So whether we're talking about electricity, whether we're talking about broadband, or whether we're talking about good old fashioned roads and bridges, uh, we know we gotta do more. This plan allows us to finally do that before it's too late. Secretary, uh, Texas has its own power grid. It, it, and we learned that even more you know, during the storm. So how can federal dollars help our power grid, which is something our legislature is grappling with, if yeah. the money, if, if it's run by the state? Well, uh, one of the things that's in this plan is a vision for supporting winterization or weatherization of power resources, which was part of the issue in Texas. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, any form of power can operate in the winter. I've seen windmills in Iowa going at minus 20 degrees, uh, but even a natural gas facility failed uh, in the case of uh, uh, Texas when it wasn't uh, weatherized. So these are things that, uh, you know, Texas wouldn't be any more or less likely than, than the rest of America to have a chance to get these funds, uh, even though there are a lot of different ways that the grids are organized. And, and certainly there's a unique one there in Texas. High speed rail is something that we hear a lot about in Dallas. There's been a project for a long time between to get some high speed rail between Dallas and Houston. I mean, how can this help that project? Yeah, you know, part of this is a vision for supporting and encouraging rail travel and high-speed rail in the country. We know that it can make a lot of sense economically. It's also good news from a climate perspective. And frankly, uh, we've been settling for less as a country. Texans ought to have just as good trains as people do in China or Japan or, uh, or Europe. Uh, there's no reason we shouldn't. Uh, anywhere in this country, and Texas ought to be part of that vision. And I also think it's important to, uh, uh, to see how uh, a lot of people are taking the lead. I've talked to uh, Republicans and Democrats who are excited about that Dallas-Houston project uh, to demonstrate that this is not just about the coasts. This is not just about one part of the country. Every part of the country can win economically if we make sure Americans have the freedom to travel on excellent high-speed rail. 
This is about making sure America leads the way, uh, not playing catch up to China on things like uh, electric vehicle technology. Uh, I'm really excited about what uh, uh, it'll mean to make that option available to more Americans with great charging stations and critically, make sure that this is made in America. The president believes in American workers, believes in American manufacturing, and you see that reflected throughout this package. It really is a compelling vision. Matter of fact, the biggest investment in American jobs since World War II. Now we got to go get it done. Finally, we turn our attention to the Texas legislature. Early Thursday, the Texas Senate passed a bill that would limit polling hours, cut early voting options, and give partisan poll watchers more authority. It bans overnight and drive-through early voting, according to an NBC News analysis of the bill. The Texas House has a similar bill that it's working on. The bill's mirror efforts in Georgia and in other state legislatures around the country after false claims about voter fraud in the 2020 election. Texas-based companies like American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, and Dell have publicly opposed the efforts. The state legislature is also tackling the Texas power grid with a Senate bill that would require power generators to make upgrades ahead of extreme weather. To talk about those bills and all the goings-on in Austin, here's Julian Gromer with Dallas Morning News Austin Bureau Chief Bob Garrett. To talk about this and other Texas legislature agenda items, Dallas Morning News Austin Bureau Chief Bob Garrett's with us. Thanks so much for being here, Bob. Thanks for having me, Julie. The Senate bill on elections passed this week. There's similar legislation in the House. So what really happens next here? That Senate bill will arrive in the House where I suspect a lot of Democrats and voting rights activists have scoured it and may come up with what you know of is a point of order in trying to kill it. Uh, here's the thing, though. The House, as you noted, has its own version. Uh, I think the Republican votes are there to pass something on elections this session. So uh, one interesting thing about the Senate bill is it's very heavy on sort of responding to what Harris County did last fall. And you'll recall they had drive-through voting, 24-hour voting, multiple drop-off sites for mail ballots. They even had, uh, you know, sending applications from absentee ballots out to everybody for a while before they got shut down. So um, it's that bill is probably... Uh, you know, so Harris County reactive that uh, the more damaging one to Democrats may be the House version. So essentially, do you think, Bob, there's going to be something passed between the legislation in the House and the Senate regarding voting? It looks that way. And, you know, it may be that uh, the Harris County Democrats, uh, Judge Lena Hidalgo and the former clerk, Chris Hollins, they may rue the day when they did that stuff last fall because uh, they kind of poked a bear. Very interesting, Bob. Let, let's get to another topic, another action by the House this week. It was legislation regarding winterizing power facilities. Do you think any legislation that passes in the legislature this time around will have teeth unlike what they did in, in, in response to recent to the 2011 storm? I, I think it's likely there will be at least something approximating teeth. Now, whether there'll be little nubs or really long fangs, I don't know, Gromer. Uh, the Senate passed a bill that would set penalties of up to a million dollars a day on both electric generators and natural gas facilities that don't winterize. 
the House, the bill reached the floor without any penalties in it. They put in some language on the House floor to let the PUC do some penalties, and they were strictly looking at electricity generators. The House uh, seemingly pretty friendly to the oil and gas industry. We'll see if they come up with something there. Bob, in the very short time we have left, we're almost in the home stretch here. What realistically becomes the big bills that make it this session? You know, blackouts, uh, electricity legislation, they'll pass a raft of it. I think you'll see the uh, COVID-related stuff like uh, expanding broadband. Uh, I think you'll see uh, elections bills we've been talking about, some stuff on policing, uh, and particularly sort of uh, the bail reform and, and abortion bills uh, all seem like they may be heading to the governor's desk, Julie. Bob Garrett, thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks to former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Senator Ted Cruz, Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and Bob Garrett for joining the show today. As always, you can stay up to date on everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.